Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We have an evangelism theme this morning. And it is with much hesitancy and nervousness I come before you this morning. But you know what? I have the most powerful tool that I can have. God's Word. And if I can use this, I know the weight of teaching God's Word is heavy. But this is all that we need. Did you hear what the psalmist just said in Psalms 1? He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord both day and night. This is what we need to be about, God's word. This is what needs to be central in our church, in our congregation, in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry, in every aspect of our church. God's word must be central. Let me tell you what he says in our everyday terminology from the Psalms 1. Blessed is the one, blessed is the person who does not tear other people down or calls other people to sin, but rather delights in following after God's word. Blessed is that person who God's word is first in their heart and in their life. I ask you this morning, how important is God's word to you? No, seriously, before you answer it that quick, how important is it to you? Do you delight in fulfilling God's word or do you do whatever feels right to you? It's always easy to come to church and say, yeah, I cherish God's word. But a lot of times when we examine our own hearts and our own lives, what we find out is that we only like the parts of God's word that make us feel good. Church, let me tell you something this morning. God is not in the business of making us feel good. God is in the business. It says, Peter says that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I've never found a two-edged sword that actually feels good. It hurts. So as we unpack this study this morning about Nathaniel and Philip... And our need to spread the gospel, our need, our need to share the gospel. I pray that it would be very clear in God's word this morning of our responsibility to share the gospel. And you know what? If we truly cherish his word, like Psalms 1 says, we will obey his word. If you, if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, please turn, me, turn with me to the book of John, the first chapter. The book of John, the first chapter, starting with verse 43. This is what the Apostle John writes under the inspiration of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Holy Spirit. 
He says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So this is the day after he called his first disciples. He goes to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. The first point I want us to see this morning from God's word is our mission is to is the proclamation of the gospel for the glory of God. We are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that God is honored, so that God is glorified. Look at verses 43 and 43 here. This interaction between Jesus and Philip. Now realize this is the first interaction that we see where Jesus is calling someone to him to follow him. Before now, John's introducing Jesus. This is the first time Jesus comes. The next day, Jesus goes to, uh, go, goes to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Jesus noticed this. Jesus met Philip where he was. And get this. He will meet us where we are today. Just as Jesus goes and he meets Philip where he is, he, he goes and he, he comes to him, he will come to you today just like that. This is the incredible thing about our God is we don't have to go to God, but God comes to us. This is good news for us. Jesus doesn't expect us to come to him, but he, he comes to us. All we need to do is accept him. It's just like Jesus says in John chapter 6, Verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So what does this mean for us? How does this change us? How does this impact us in our evangelism? We must meet people where they are. And we, we, we need to constantly be reminded of this. We must meet people where they are. Because what tends to happen is we go with our evangelism tool, we go with our Bible, and we start thumping people over their head, the head with their Bible, and then what happens? Nothing good comes out of that. We go to the dirty places. We go to the hard places. We go to the places that make us feel uncomfortable, and we introduce them to our King of Kings. We introduce them to Jesus. We need the gospel and we need to share the gospel. This is the call in all of our lives. And the bottom line is the vast majority of Americans today and people all around this world are not attending church. And the reason they are not attending church is because they don't know Jesus. So the church, since they're not coming to the church, the church needs to come to them. We need to go to them. I like what Francis Chan says about this. He says, Christians are like manure. When they all stay together, they stink. 
Isn't that true? But when they separate, it causes other things to grow. We are called to go out into our mission field. We are called to share the gospel in our mission field. And we are not called to just stay together in our own little comfort zone. The depth of our evangelism should be more so, should take more so take place outside of the walls of the church rather than within the walls of the church. And what tends to take place within Christian churches today is the, ma- the vast majority of our evangelism, like 85 to 90 percent of it, comes from within the walls of the church. It should be that 90 to 99 percent of our evangelism is without, outside the walls of the church, not within. That's the depth of of what evangelism is. So we need to, as we are looking at how Jesus is talking to Philip as he meets him where he is, we need to imitate the lifestyle of Jesus and part of imitating the lifestyle of Jesus is saying that, you know what, I'm going to do what he does and doing that is we need to have a, a, a lifestyle of evangelism. It's not just something we do, it's who we are. It's what we're about. So church, may I say this very gently to you this morning, but very boldly. What this means is that God's people need to quit complaining about what program we do or do not have, what music style we do or do not have, and we need to get out of our comfortable little pews and go out and share the gospel. We need, we need to go and meet people where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what changed lives. Our music does not change lives. Our programs do not change lives. Jesus Christ and the gospel that he has created changes lives. And it is our responsibility to share that. David Platt, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy's name, David Platt. It's a joke. You can laugh. At my jokes. Uh, he, he wrote the book Radical, and we're going to be doing more, more studies on that here, here soon. But David Platt says this, Church, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. The calling is for us. God will get his mission accomplished whether, he uses, whether we decide for him to use us or not. So as Jesus is confronting Philip and coming to Philip, Jesus does what people would be an objection to. He goes to them, he, he goes to Philip and he says, follow me. This is not the popular thing to do. This is not the thing that is, is likely for someone to do in that time or even in today's era. But get this, Jesus is willing to draw people to the Father at whatever cost. Now, when people are in objection to what you're going to do in sharing the gospel, are you willing to do it at whatever cost? Are you willing to share it no matter what is to come? Because as we share the gospel and the Father leads them to the Son and the Son leads them to the Father, as we, as we do that, what will happen is they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They will bear fruit. They will become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then what do they do? They go and they share the gospel. It's a snowball effect. If we are doing church right, the church is being the church, that's the way it happens. Secondly, 
There might be skepticism and doubt about the gospel. But the gospel is worth the cost of everything that comes our way. It's worth the cost of everything that comes our way. Look at verses 45 and 46 here. 45 starts, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Nathanael is very skeptical at first. He's very skeptical when he says, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is interesting to me because Philip or Nathanael coming from a small town is talking about someone like Jesus who's coming from a small town. Who do you have to, who are you to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? With where you're from. Let me, let me kind of give you a good example. I'm from Indiana. Okay, most of you don't know about Indiana. I'm from southwest Indiana, which, which borders Kentucky. We're like, we were like three minutes from Kentucky and about 30 minutes from Illinois. Now, in Indiana, there's this feeling, these certain feelings that you have about people from Kentucky. Now, I've been here in Virginia for like a month or a couple months, and I've, I've realized that People in Virginia have these certain type of feelings for people in West Virginia. Am I correct? Well, this is what it's like. An Indiana boy saying, how can anything good come from Kentucky? Now, I came and I met Shelly and the kids, and we know something good. The jury is still out on Curtis. But that's exactly what it's like. Here's the bottom line. As we think about Philip going to Nathaniel and Nathaniel's response and the skepticism that's coming his way, is we should not be discouraged no matter what. Because it's our responsibility to share the gospel, not to do the saving. It's our responsibility to share the gospel, not to do the saving. We get so caught up in our evangelism that that if the person is not saved, we have failed. If we are willing to share the gospel and do it in a biblical, godly way, let God do the saving. We We don't need these other crafty ways so that people will say a little prayer and then we have false converts. Let's let God do what he is responsible for doing. Philip could have very easily just walked away. He could have very easily been discouraged by what Nathaniel said, but he wasn't. And Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism, look at what he does. He does not debate and he does not argue, but rather he invites him to examine firsthand the proof of his claim. He says, come and find out for yourself. That's that's awesome. Philip said to him in verse 46, come and see. Philip's not interested in winning the debate or winning the argument and losing the soul. Taking an example from Philip, we must let the gospel do the speaking for us and us do the speaking of the gospel. 
Let me, let me try to unpack this just really quick. We must let, we must be speaking of the gospel and let the gospel be do the, doing the speaking for us. So that meaning we need to go and share and then let the gospel do the work. Because so often we try to change the gospel and make it into kind of our own little image of Jesus. And, and the bottom line is the gospel is good enough for salvation. We don't need to reduce Jesus into our own little image to make him look like us, to make him sound like us, to make him kind of be our own little Jesus. Because when we do that, we're adding to the gospel. And like Dr. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern uh, Theological Seminary says, Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need anything but Jesus. And somehow we have come to the point where we don't believe that the people of God under the spirit of God is enough to accomplish his mission. And it is. We have, well, we have more than enough resources here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church to accomplish the mission that he has set before us here in Colonial Heights. Do you believe that? I don't think I heard enough of a response. Do you believe that God has blessed us enough to accomplish his mission? Yes, he has. He definitely has. I had the North American Mission Board do a study for me as I I was preparing for this. They did a 15-mile radius of our community. There are over 80,000 people in a 15-mile radius of uh, Colonial Heights. And about 50,000 of them are not attending church on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. There is a huge mission field. There is a huge responsibility for us to go and share the gospel. Are we willing to do it? We need to do like Philip and show the lost people in our community Jesus. Just, Just think about this. Just two verses earlier, Philip is being introduced to Jesus. And then he goes and he shares. Many of us have been Christians for 15 years and have never shared with one single person. God is calling you today to repentance. Calling you to ask for forgiveness for that lack of obedience to him. This is a lifestyle, sharing the gospel. It's when we're at the grocery store, we're sharing the gospel. When we're at the laundromat, we're sharing the gospel. When we're at lunch today, we're sharing the gospel. A constant living out of obedience to God is what this means. I'll be the first to admit, I struggle with it. I'm not coming up to condemn anybody. This is as much to me as anyone else. You know, I fear the days where I have to go and share the gospel. Signing up for a gym membership this week. God opened up an opportunity. I was scared to death as I talked to him. But that is our responsibility. That is what he has called us to do. That is why we breathe. So that when we go to the Washington Redskins football game, not that anybody would ever do that. Not that anyone would ever do that. 
But when we go to like something like that, we are looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. David Platt says, God does not give us commandments, or God gives us commandments, not considerations. This isn't something to consider. We just ought to do it. So the power and knowledge of God will lead men to repentance. This is what will lead men to repentance. This is what is the gospel. Thirdly, an encounter with Jesus is what we all are in need of. It's what we all are in need of. Verses 47 through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Once Nathanael encounters Jesus, he gives his life over to him. We just need to introduce Jesus. People just need to encounter Jesus. Because here's the thing, don't we all need Jesus daily? No matter whether you're a Christian or not, we all need Jesus daily. And if you know Jesus, if you have a personal relationship with him, don't we all who have Jesus in our hearts need to share about Jesus? Don't we? As we share about Jesus, as we introduce people to Jesus, we can't get so caught up into a crafty message. We just share about Jesus. There's a heretic, wait, I mean pastor, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Rob Bell. And he was asked in Christianity Today, if you could tweet the gospel message, which if you don't know what tweeting means, it means you have 140 characters in order to explain what you're doing. If you could tweet the gospel message, what would you say? This is what Rob Bell says. You'll get a kick out of this. And 580 characters, so he like triples the amount he's allowed to use, or quadruples, I'm not good at math. He says, I would say that history is headed somewhere. The thousands of little ways in which you are tempted to believe that hope might actually be a legitimate response to the insanity of the world actually can be trusted. And the Christian story is a tomb is empty. A movement has actually begun that has been present in a sense all along in creation. And all those times when your cynicism were at odds with an impulse within you that said that this little thing might be about something bigger, those tiny little slivers may in fact be connected to something really, really big. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. The gospel is cross, death, resurrection. I don't need 140 character, characters to explain that. 
I don't need a crafty little message that confuses people to say a little prayer. I need Jesus. We must be willing to sacrifice anything for the proclamation of the true gospel. We must be willing to sacrifice it all for the proclamation of the true gospel. This might mean that we need to stop wasting our money on getting bigger houses, nicer cars, and a bigger retirement investment so that we can live our comfortable little lives. This might mean we sacrifice it all. There's a little insert you have in, in your bulletin on the back of your notes. It's an insert from a book by John Piper. There have been four books that have changed, changed my ministry drastically. One being Radical by David Platt. Two being um, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. I encourage you to read all four of these. Um, three being uh, Desiring God by John Piper. Fourth being Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Look at what John Piper says about this. An American tragedy, how to not finish one's life. I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I uh, read, read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was a dream. Come to the end of, one, of your life, your one and only precious life, God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account before your creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. And the people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace this tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. I like the next section too. In April 2000, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over a cliff, and they were both killed instantly. I asked my congregation, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ even two decades after most of them of their American counterparts had retired and thrown away their lives on triffles no this isn't a tragedy this is a glory this is a glory these lives were not wasted and these lives were not lost whoever loses his life for my sake of the gospel will save it I ask you are you wasting your life? Are you doing whatever it takes, whatever it costs to share the gospel? Because sacrificing everything so that the gospel can be proclaimed might mean we need to work a few more years or have a few less stuff and focus on actually what matters for eternity. The lostness of our community. See, Jesus' mission on earth was to 
glorify God by giving salvation to lost souls. This is what he's called to do. He comes to earth, he glorifies God, and as he glorifies God, he saves lost souls. We must have that same passion and purpose to glorify God by seeing this lost community come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that today a movement would sweep across Mount Pleasant Baptist Church with a hot white passion for the lost in our community in such a way that we don't care what color of skin they have, we don't care the background that they have, we don't care what they look like, when we don't care what their social status is, but what we care about is that they meet our king, that they meet Jesus. Jesus knew Nathaniel personally. Just like he knows people in our community personally. He knows each and every one of us in a personal way. Verses 47 and 48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus speaking to Nathanael before Philip called you, When you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Jesus knows every single detail about your life. He knew every single detail about Nathaniel's life. He had never met Nathaniel before. Nathaniel had never met him before. But Jesus knows him personally. And Jesus knows you personally. You know, this is scary. Because... He knows us so personal that there isn't anything that we can hide from him. Hey, I would have had the same type of response Nathaniel had. How do you know me? Wouldn't that be a little bit freaky, someone knowing where you have been without them actually being there? Have you ever gotten a a phone call on your cell phone, like when you're at the gas station and someone silly would be like, hey, I like that red shirt you're wearing. You're like, dude, where are you? It's like... I know you're somewhere. I know you see me, but I can't find you. You know, this isn't the exact same type of thing, but Jesus was actually there. He saw exactly what was going on. And you know what? Jesus sees everything that's in our hearts and everything that is in our lives. As Jesus is pointing this out to Nathaniel, what does Nathaniel do? He realizes who Jesus is, He gives his life over to him. Did Jesus make a complex gospel message? No. Did Jesus have to craft it to make make him deceive Nathaniel? No. This is where we can realize for the first time in the the book of John that Jesus is all-knowing. He knows every single thing about us. He wasn't physically there, but he knew about Nathaniel under the fig tree. Jesus knows about your circumstances today. Knows about everything about you. That man or woman who has committed adultery this week, you might be hiding it from your spouse, but you're not hiding it from Jesus. From you who was wasted last night, Drugs or alcohol, 
You might be hiding it from someone, but you're not hiding it from Jesus. Jesus knows your heart. He is in the business of saving lost souls, and he wants to save you. If you trust and believe in Jesus with everything that you have, just like Nathaniel did, then you will be a child of God, just like Nathaniel. You have Jesus in your heart and your life, and the sin that you have, you can overcome. Christians, if you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can overcome your sins, no matter how bad it is, no matter how difficult it is. I love where it tells us in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The heaven opening is a sign of of Jesus being our Messiah. His messianic identity. He is the one who has come to save. He wants to save you today. So if you don't know Christ, then now is the time. Now is the time for you to surrender your life over to him. Now is the time to say, it is enough with playing games. I need to do what God wants me to do. Even as we have discussed about evangelism, the need for us as Christians to go out and share the gospel, there are probably those who are sitting here today who the Father is calling to the Son. Saying, follow me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come and rest with him. Maybe you want to join the church. Whatever you need to do this morning, as you leave this place, may you be right with God in every single aspect of your life. May God get glory. Let's pray. Father, I love you.